The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? This is the Punt and Pass Podcast. Touchdown, baby! Now, here are your hosts, two-time All-American punter Drew Butler. Mark Rick would like Drew Butler to hit it a mile in the air. And he did and the SEC's career leader in touchdown passes and completions, Aaron Murray. Touchdown! In stride as he crosses the goal line. Put it right on his hip. What a throw. Now with the latest from around the SEC and the world of college football, it's the Punt and Pass Podcast. Get to the house! Sideline! Pylon! Touchdown! And the dogs are on the board first. Victory is mine. Yeah, surprisingly, I've been lame. Welcome into the Punt and Pass podcast. I'm your host, Drew Butler, joined as always by my co-host, Aaron Murray. And Aaron, Labor Day weekend is upon us. Week one of college football is here. It is Thursday right now. We have an awesome slate of games tonight to kick off the official start of the season. I know we did week zero last week, but man, we have football all the way through Monday night. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, let's do this thing. We are so fired up, and I know all of our listeners are too, so please feel free to follow us on social media. We are at Punt and Pass on Twitter and Instagram. Aaron is at AaronMurray11, and I am at DrewButler13, so hit that follow button, follow along with us. Our intern, Christina, is still killing it, and Aaron, she's giving away a signed Punt and Pass hat on Saturday. So if you haven't yet, go to our Instagram page, at Punt and Pass. Follow the instructions, get in there, and you could be the lucky winner of some punt and pass swags. We've been doing a lot of good stuff on there, and I think we are only going to continue to get better. On this week's episode, we are breaking everything down that you need to know. What's on the dock this week? And we have an awesome special guest, Aaron. You got your colleague Adam Zucker on from CBS Sports. Everybody who watches the SEC on CBS will know who Adam is. He leads the crew in studio inside college football and SEC on CBS Saturday. So we talked to him about what to expect this weekend and a couple of predictions for 2019. So awesome show lined up. Let's start by getting into some storylines. Aaron, the biggest one that broke yesterday was the unfortunate news out of Tuscaloosa. Starting linebacker, defensive team captain, preseason first team All-American, Butkus Award finalist, total stud, Dylan Moses out for the season with a torn ACL. So, unfortunate news there. They are thin at linebacker, and it looks like, Murray, they're going to have two starting freshmen inside linebackers on Saturday. It's been a kooky week for Alabama. I mean, you obviously have the Dylan Moses injury right now, and you never want to see a guy get hurt, especially preseason. He's worked his tail off all offseason, all spring, all summer, into fall camp. So you hate that. You hate that for the team, the player especially at that position. I mean, it just, it seems like every year there's, there's injuries at that linebacking position. So I don't know if it's, if, if it's just overtraining or what it is going on there at Alabama, but I'm telling you every year there's linebackers going down left and right for those guys. And then obviously we saw the suspensions for the first half of their yeah. game versus Duke, four guys suspended four starters or three starters. And then another guy suspended for that game. 
it's just it, it's 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 not the missed, way. I heard they missed a team missed function, a meeting, a meeting. yeah, okay. team team function meeting. Yeah. They're late to. Well, I mean, good good for Saban though. I mean, not taking the BS and saying, listen, if you want to be a part of this team, you, you have to do everything the right way. And you if you're not, up. you're not going to play. You know, we have too many good players that want to see the field. That if you're not going to do the Alabama way and you're not going to commit to us, then you're not going to start. Plain and simple, you're going to sit for the first half, but this is not how you want to go into a season, a season where it's been all Alabama talk the entire yeah. off season about what happened, what went on, what went wrong in that national championship game. And then you start the first week off of the season with four suspensions and an injury to one of your best players on the defensive side of the football. It's uh, it's it, like I said, it's not a good start. It's a lot of distractions from, from the playing field. It's a lot of off the field discussion, which, you know, Nick Saban hates, of course, but most importantly, like we said, Dylan Moses is out. That's it, it sinks for that kid. Uh, you know, hopefully he gets his, his butt into the rehab room and, and gets ready for next season. What would you say the talent level is in comparison to other starting linebackers in the SEC when you're discussing the possibility or the likelihood of Alabama playing two freshman inside linebackers on a defense, obviously, where there's a ton of talent around them, but these guys are the signal callers. I mean, they are the heart of that defense. they got to make sure everybody's in the right position, getting the right calls in. Is this going to affect Alabama as much as maybe some of the public thinks it should, or are they going to be able to get eased into the season by beating up on Duke this weekend and then working their way into an SEC schedule. Yeah, I think they're fine. I mean, you look at their first five games, Drew. It's Duke, New Mexico State, out South Carolina. I think I think everyone agrees this South Carolina team is kind of flying under the radar right yeah, now. Yeah, for sure. It is a good football team, and we know how tough it is to play at South Carolina. But then Southern Miss and then Mississippi. So your first five games before a bye, before you at Texas A&M, that's going to give these young linebackers and any any youth on this football team plenty of time to kind of get acclimated to what it is like playing SEC football, what it's like to play in Nick Saban's defense on a weekly basis, to go through practice. So they're going to get a lot of reps. Even that South Carolina game, I, I don't feel nervous about it. Just they are a better football team. And, and, and then you look on the offense, they're going to score a bajillion points. Yeah. Plain and simple, My God. this offense will mask a lot of problems on the defense early in the season. They're going to have to mature fast, plain and simple. They will, though. They, they have five weeks to kind of get it together, six weeks, including the bye week. But when they play at AM, their sixth game of the season, if that defense isn't rolling, that's a good AM yeah, team. They could now. Get that, that's a great quarterback. That's a great offense. They got some good skill. Yes, AM has to find a running back, but I'm sure they'll be fine there. So they could get exposed. And that, that was the weakness of this team last year was the defensive side of the football. You know, when they played elite yeah. offenses toward the end of the season, they were giving up points to Georgia. They were giving up points uh, Oklahoma to Oklahoma. Late. And then obviously Clemson, Clemson put a waxing on them. So defensively right now, they got to figure it out. And, and you don't want to start this season off, most important thing, with injuries. Because yeah. there's always going to be more injuries throughout the season. So you're already thin now. It only takes one or two more, whether it's a linebacker, front four, or the back end. And then all of a sudden you're saying, wow, this defense is really, really exposed. A lot of holes in a lot of places and for teams like AM, LSU has a good offense and then Auburn in the year. And then if they play Georgia and Clemson, these are elite offenses. If you're banged up, you're not going to win those type of games. And, and right now I think they're, they're, they're a little worried, but like I said, at the beginning, they have five games to kind of get these guys sure. going 
and hopefully stay healthy for the rest of the season. Yeah, no question. Kind of an ominous start to the season for Alabama, staying under the radar for the most part of preseason, but with the suspensions and then with this big injury in the middle of their defense, um, not likely that Alabama starts off this way, but I'm sure they're going to absolutely manhandle Duke and get on track and work those freshmen into the defense. So we'll keep an eye on that for sure and how that situation develops. All right, a couple more storylines here, and they're both on the opposite sides of a decision, which we are no surprise at in this point of the NCAA's transfer portal decision juncture. All right, one just north of here, up in Knoxville, Tennessee, defensive tackle transfer Aubrey Solomon, who was a five-star recruit out of the state of Georgia. He went to Michigan, transferred out of Michigan into Tennessee, and was granted immediate eligibility to play this season at Tennessee. Big news for a thin defensive line. The volunteers have up there. And uh, he, look, he's got 6'5", 300 pounds. He played at Michigan, so he's got experience at the D1 level, and he's going to provide some depth and some talent on that defensive line, and then on the flip side, okay? If you watch Center last night with Scott Van Pelt, an offensive lineman who transferred from Coastal Carolina to Virginia Tech, his name is Brock Hoffman, was denied immediate eligibility, and this guy had the most legitimate reason ever to transfer, Aaron. His mom had to battle a brain tumor. She had brain surgery. She is recovering. He moved closer to home, cut his commute to home in half, wanted to be there for his mom, had everything, every medical record, every single thing that he would need to prove his reason for transferring given to the NCAA, and they denied him. One of the reasons they said they denied him is, one, because his mom didn't quit her job while she was rehabbing because she's got over a million dollars in health care bills, and she said she couldn't afford to quit her job. And two, he was five miles outside of the radius of a transfer home he was 105 miles away from his home instead of 100 miles so the NCAA said thanks but no thanks we are not going to grant you eligibility this goes back to what I said a week ago Aaron the inconsistency and the convenience for the NCAA to allow a five-star the ability to play this year like Aubrey Solomon and maybe not a five-star a smaller recruit from Coastal Carolina who's transferring home for the right reason and even a Luke Ford who transferred out of Georgia into Illinois who's going home for the right reason. The fact that these guys aren't going to make big splash news, it's ridiculous, and the NCAA needs to be held responsible for it. Oh, it, it it's, it's out of control. I mean, you can go into a guy like Tate Martell. So you're telling me Tate Martell has a better reason to transfer to Miami be able to play this year than Brock Hoffman, who's transferring, like you said, for his mother. Tate Martell transferring because of a coaching change with a coach that was already on the roster, already coaching last year. It's just... It, it's it's kind of sickening, honestly. We really need is. to figure it out. I, I, I'm I keep going back to it, and, and we'll talk with um, Adam about this as well. For how crazy Coach Harbaugh is at Michigan, I you kind of feel like what his what he's saying when it comes to transferring and, and and his idea of just giving one free pass, and then your second time you automatically have to sit out a year if you're yeah. going to transfer. I. It's it's going to make it crazy in the fact that there's going to be tons of guys moving. It's going to be like free agency every single year. But well, why not call it day, what it is? It is, but it is right now. And, yeah, exactly. And it also, it's it's such such a sticky situation. The NCAA is it's it's I don't know. It does for me. It doesn't seem fair. And this is a prime example example with the Hoffman situation. So I think you just need to really sit down at the end of the year. NCAA say these are the clear cut lines of if you're going to transfer. 
these are, these are the reasons why we'll let you transfer and play immediately. If you don't fit in this box, then sorry, you can't do it. Or listen, everyone gets one free go at it. You transfer, you can play right away. If you want to transfer, then once again, then no matter what you've had your one free pass, you have to set out a year. It's, you got to make some decisions. It needs to be clear right now. It's not clear. And that's why I think they look like uh, the bad guy. Plain and simple, they yeah. look like the bad guy, and they should look like the bad guy because they are the bad guy. This is a prime example <laughs> right here with Hoffman of of them not doing the right thing at the end of the day. It's just really convenient. I go back to that word. It's convenient for them to allow five star recruits to transfer and provide immediate talent boost and immediate depth for teams that they know will be in the spotlight: Ohio State, Miami. Tennessee. We talked about the guys at Georgia Tech who were denied eligibility waivers. They talk about this guy at Virginia Tech now who's going home for the right reason. And Luke Ford at Illinois. I mean, these are guys who wanted to transfer for maybe the right reasons. And I know every case is unique. Uh, it drives me crazy, but I would highly encourage you. I retweeted it, so go check me out at Drew Butler 13 on Twitter. Scott Van Pell, his one big thing last night on Wednesday night was this and how it disgusts him and how it's just not transparent at all. So shame on you, NCAA. And uh, I'm sure this isn't the last of it, and it will only continue to happen until they figure something out. So big news in Knoxville. Aubrey, Sol- Aubrey Solomon, five-star recruit from Michigan, will well, have immediate eligibility. Well, more more big news, too. They got uh, their boy Trey Smith was cleared to play for Georgia State, the offensive tackle. There you go. They're big five-star. And that's one of the issues we saw with Tennessee is – you know, can they protect Garantano? So they got him playing. They got some other big recruits. They got this season. They got Will Friend as the offensive line coach. Yep. So it's a lot of positive momentum. I think this is another sneaky team. We talk about South Carolina. I think Tennessee is a sneaky yeah. team where if you're one of the big boys and you don't show up that Saturday, you know, Tennessee could, could scare you a little bit. I'm not saying this team's going to win the East. I think this is a 7-8 win team, which is an improvement from last they year. Win, probably. Yeah, and they, they may win, like you said, they win, they may win a game that they, they're not expected to win, but this is a, a better football team than what we saw last year. Yeah, and you know the success that coaches usually have in their second season, as long as they have talent, as long as they have a quarterback, as long as they have some depth, and Tennessee is pointed in that direction, so we will definitely keep our eyes on them. All right, well, let's bring in our guest this week, but before we do that, I want to give a shout-out to my man Charlie Cobb. Charlie is a huge Georgia Bulldogs fan. He's sick right now. I know he's fighting his tail off, so we just want to send you some encouragement, Charlie. Keep fighting, my man. Head up. We are all thinking of you sending our best from the Punt and Pass podcast. So with that being said, Charlie, listen to this interview and enjoy it. Here is Adam Zucker from CBS Sports. All right, Aaron, we are welcoming in our guest. It's week one of college football and a very special guest indeed from CBS Sports, Adam Zucker. Adam, thanks so much for the time, and we've been chatting for a couple of minutes beforehand. Must I say, you have an awesome voice. I'll just get that out right on the onset. So thanks for joining us, my man. Well, totally appreciate that, Drew, and and it's an honor to be your, your week one guest. I mean, I think it's better than even being your week zero guest, and uh I will. I will say I, I got my voice straight from my dad, but when I'm doing updates for Ness and before that Vern, I uh, I sit a little forward in my chair and try to get as deep as I can, knowing who I'm who I'm going back and forth with. So I appreciate it. Well, it, it's interesting because I when I first met Nestler, th- I think three years ago, Tennessee, Florida, and I asked him I was like, "How do you get your voice like that?" Because they, you know, that CBS has me going to voice coaches and all this other stuff. He said, "Here's some scotch. Here's a cigar." Sit down with me, and I'll teach you how to do it. Get so, to work. So, Adam, I haven't asked you. I mean, what, 
first question is at what age did you figure out like I should be on TV because my voice is beautiful? And two, is there anything you do during the week to keep that thing nice and juicy for uh, Saturday afternoons? Nice and juicy. <laughs> well, I'll tell you about a, a scare I had once, but uh, to answer your question first, I mean, I I am the beneficiary of genetics, not in, not in a lot of ways, but, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but in that way uh, specifically. Like, my dad sounds exactly like me. My brother sounds a little more like me. I, I'd say I kind of uh, I liven it up, and I know where to kind of pop the notes here and there. And Syracuse, there were, there were people, especially this one guy, Professor Rick Wright, and, you, you know, you're thinking, why am I, what, what's, what's with this class? I want to be learning about, you know, journalistic ethics and, you know, reporting techniques and how to use the machines. And this guy was always emphasizing how you use your voice, and it's so important. And, and he was the closest thing to a voice coach most of us had. And then it's a lot of reps and comfort and kind of relaxing when you're projecting is kind of important. A lot of times you're, people project, but they're not relaxed, and, and everything sounds like way up. So... Um, again, a lot of it is just from my dad. There was no, no intense whiskey drinking, no intense cigar smoking. There were people in my class in college though, who literally took up smoking in college to improve their voice. I was like, this is really short term thinking here. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I don't know if they still smoke, but that's probably not a great idea. Cause <laughs> the, the, the two people I'm thinking of, I don't even know what they're doing now. So. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Syracuse. Syracuse obviously has tons of notable alumni who work in broadcast journalism yourself, Mike Tarico, who's one of my all time favorites. And then I had the distinct pleasure and honor of joining Sean McDonough for his Boston Golf Club Invitational this past summer, which we won our flight. But McDonough is one of the all-time best guys, and I'm sure you have crossed paths before. So you're carrying the torch well for Syracuse, and you're an outstanding broadcaster as well. So let's talk about a little college football. I've been catching you weeknights inside college football, the studio show that Aaron goes up to New York and joins you with. You guys have been touching all the bases, but we're finally here. And some sneaky good games on Thursday as well. Obviously, Georgia Tech goes to Clemson. They launch the ACC network tomorrow night, or if you're listening on Thursday, tonight. But one of the games that I'm looking at, Aaron, you can chime in here too. Utah against BYU. It's the 100th playing of the Holy War. Utah, Corso picked him to make him to the national championship last week. I love the six and a half points here, and I think BYU has a chance to knock off Utah to start the season off. Ooh, uh, I, I don't know about that. Um, I think Utah comes back with that, that full defense. Their quarterbacks who are healthy, their running backs healthy. I didn't know about Corso because I actually didn't watch uh, – whatever portion of game day that occurred in. But Randy Cross and Aaron Taylor picked Utah to be in the college football playoff uh, as well, uh, based on the O-line returns to go with everything I already mentioned. So they're a hot pick. They had a score 28 straight to win that game last year against BYU. So the fact that it's a week one in a rivalry situation, especially one that they had to actually discontinue for a little while because of how intense it got, I think basketball actually first, uh, more than football because of, because of some of the back and forth. Um, I, I personally think Utah uh, gets that one done. But I, I've been wrong before. Uh, that's why I ask other people for their picks. But <laughs> that, that's a team, you know, we, Rick Neuheisel said it, and it wasn't like he was trying to poke anybody. But last year when he picked Auburn to beat Washington, he basically said, you know, if, if Auburn beats Washington, it's basketball season for the Pac-12. I think this year they have a few more contenders 
to play with. And of course, yeah. Auburn is, is facing one of them in Oregon. But uh, yeah, no, there's a few good games. And you mentioned Clemson, you know, all these Clemson fans who did not travel cross country last year for the, uh, for the just complete dismantling of Alabama, they have been waiting for months to cheer for these guys. And a lot of them, of course, especially on that D line are gone, but they've been dying to cheer for these guys. So when they come down and rub the rock and they're on their way onto the field, uh, this will be the first time a lot of those fans see them since they won the national championship. So I think that's going to be a great atmosphere too. Zuck, we, we, we kind of look at the PAC 12 a little bit and, and discuss it. And the fact that they lost last week against Hawaii Arizona, you look tomorrow night or tonight, whenever you listen to this. And, and like Drew said, if Utah loses, which I, I, I still think Utah wins this football game, I think it's a good game, probably one of the best games of the weekend. And then the big game is Oregon versus Auburn. If somehow, if something crazy happens and the Pac 12 goes 0 3 in all three of those games, are they completely done? And should they then focus on basketball season at that point? <laughs> or even oh, 1 funny. 2, even if 1 and 2, say if, if Oregon loses this weekend? No, because it's early, and you know, kind of like how Georgia, how your school benefited from Notre Dame having a great year a couple years ago after you guys, you know, narrowly beat them on the road on a great finish. I think that if if Oregon were to lose to Auburn, and Auburn has a lights out year, and maybe beats an Alabama team that they'll get at home, who's now missing two inside senior linebackers, or you know, on their way to the NFL linebackers, and now they got to start two true freshmen in the middle there. You know, if Bo Nix clicks for Auburn and, and they beat Oregon, yeah, and then they and they tear it up and win the West somehow, whatever, uh, you know, Oregon can lean back on that. And if they run the table in the Pac-12, I think it's early enough that they can get away with it, whether it's Oregon here, uh, whether it's Utah losing to BYU somehow, but, but running the table. So I think that I think there's still that window. Um, Stanford should be better as well. Washington Washington's lost a lot of guys on that defense. So we'll see. Uh, and of course, I know a lot of a lot of Georgia eyes will be on Jacob Eason here. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, no, I don't think it's necessarily over because you never know what kind of carnage we're going to see around the country. I think the Big Ten East is a little more on the level with each other now. Uh, even though I'd still go with Ohio State, where everyone's getting hot about Michigan, who hasn't been able to get over the hump, and they lost Devin Bush, they lost big guys up front off the D line. So uh, I question that. I question that decision. Uh, so yeah, I think I think we might be a little other than Clemson being way out ahead of their whole conference. Um, I think we have maybe a little more parity coming our way. Yeah, which is probably good for the fans when you think about weekly ass whoopings. Excuse my French. That Clemson and Alabama were able to deal out last year. I mean, they both won every single regular season game by fourteen plus points. Really wasn't much fun to watch, and I would expect Clemson to continue that trend for sure. Alabama, who knows? You just mentioned that Dylan Moses, their starting inside linebacker, out for the season after a severe knee injury that was reported on Wednesday. It's going to be tough for them, but one thing that we know Coach Saban has is a lot of depth. He is a recruiting ace. They'll just plug and play. But losing that senior leadership on the inside there, Aaron and Adam, that's tough, especially going into a game against Duke. They're going to handle that game. It's going to be fine. Look back at their week one performances under Nick Saban. But they've got suspensions to Najee Harris in the first half. Just sort of a weird start to the ominous season that may be ahead of Alabama. I would certainly expect them to win the SEC West, though. A game I do want to ask you about this weekend, though, is on Sunday. 
Oklahoma's playing Houston, Aaron and Adam, and Derek King is back in the fold at Houston. He's healthy. Dana Holgerson is the head coach now at Houston. If you remember what happened Thanksgiving week last year, Oklahoma scooted by West Virginia 59-56. to So who knows? This game, I would think, will go over. I think the total is at like 82 points right now, Aaron. It's insane. That's a little aggressive for me. 82 on week one. We saw how sloppy offenses could be in week one. So I, I, I agree. If this, if this game was played week five, I think we could see the over, but I don't know. Week one, new quarterback for Oklahoma. I know he's played a ton, ton of football at Alabama, but he's still breaking into a new system. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm staying, I'm going to stay away from that week one until we kind of fully see what this Oklahoma offense is going to look like. How do you think, you think they might get upset though? I don't know if they're going to get upset, but I, I'm interested in how Lincoln Riley is going to be able to transform Jalen Hurts into a passer because he's going to have to throw the ball much like Baker and Kyler Murray both did. So, Adam, do you see Lincoln Riley being able to develop Jalen into that passer? Uh, definitely. I, I think he probably gets someone who's more ready than Kyler was when he first transferred in from A&M in the first place. Uh, I wouldn't say that the same thing about Baker Mayfield, though. I think Dan Enos, what he was able to do with Jalen Hurts as a backup last year, and obviously we saw it in the SEC championship game, I think he comes in ready to go. It's just a question of whether the defense is going to be able to, you know, deliver wins. If, if Jalen Hurts isn't, isn't producing the points that Kyler Murray produced on, in that offense with, with not just quarterback change but other guys being gone now, uh, if that defense ends up costing them games. Because I tell you, if, that, if the game against Alabama went another quarter – you know, for some crazy Buffalo Wild Wings fantasy thing <laughs> happening. I think Oklahoma might have won it. I mean, they were they were storming back. And and at some point in that game, Alabama's defense just started failing. And it was never the same right through the whole Clemson game either. Uh, so, you know, I think, I think Jalen Hurts comes as a ready-to-go, maybe not plug-and-play, but get the terminology, get the playbook, meet your meet your new friends but they've had a long time to work on that and uh, to me the biggest question mark would be the defense they got a new defensive coordinator and uh man if they could if they could just be decent uh oklahoma oklahoma's in really good shape but dr king and in houston that's that's an offense that can score a lot of mm-hmm. points for sure uh, adam uh, the craziness this offseason is, is the big thing honestly to me has been this transfer portal and it's just more news every day of who's getting the ability to play right away who's not getting the ability to play right away it's just it's 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 honestly it's a nightmare for everyone it's a headache there's just no clear rules and and what the NCAA wants to do with it and and I I don't agree with a lot of stuff that Harbaugh says I think a lot of it's just crazy and out there but I I I don't love what he says yeah the SEC but I don't (laughs) I don't love what he says about the the transfer portal and allowing kids to go and you know, you have one free pass, and then after that, you don't kind of thing. I don't love it because I think it can turn to a complete craziness all over the place. But I don't see any other solution right now. The NCAA really has not come out and said this is what we're looking at when deciding if a kid can play or not play the following year. Do you have any thoughts on this of, of a possible solution going forward? And is Jim Harbaugh correct? Should we go with his solution maybe next year? Well, I liked his I like part of his idea in that you get the one free pass, but then I don't love the idea that you can't get the second one, no matter what. And honestly, some of the hardship stuff, the reason a kid might transfer, whether he's a starter or not, or a quarterback or not, some of that hardship stuff usually has gone back to family things. 
Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about stuff when I was in school where it's like a kid couldn't get let out of his scholarship or would, wouldn't even be allowed to transfer. Transfer would be blocked and stuff like that. Now we're talking about the, the sitting out the year being blocked or not. So to me, if you're going to let kids play immediately, I know it's hard. You're going to put each case on trial or whatever, but if there's like a serious hardship or family illness, things like that, you know, like, well, it's your second transfer. Sorry, you can't play immediately. You know, A, that's silly. But B, it might not even be the kid's number one priority because he's not a five-star first through fifth round projected kid and he's actually just really trying to get home to his parents or something. So I, I think it's hard to put blankets on this whole thing um, personally. What I was surprised by, though, with the transfer portal is that the number of kids transferring actually hasn't changed that much. Uh, there's still this, about the same number of kids transferring at the FBS level. And I think if it benefits anybody besides the kids, it benefits the programs. You know, look, this year we're dealing with a lot of high-profile quarterback transfers, obviously in your backyard with Justin Fields going to Ohio State, the trickle-down with Tate Martell and so on and so on and Jalen Hurts and everything. But the people who benefit the most, in my opinion, are – the recruiting coordinator types and the assistant coaches who have to really pound the pavement for kids at the schools that are down a couple of rungs, whether they're, you know, I wouldn't say they're in the power five necessarily, but they're, whether it's the Memphis squad, the Yukon or Fresno state uh, schools that would really benefit from grabbing some of these power five kids who want to transfer and get a place to play. And now the knowledge and the information is kind of at their fingertips because they can just log in and see it. So maybe it just helps kids find the right fits and schools find the right kids and that kind of thing. Whereas in the past, all of a sudden this one kid was just transferring to another school and nobody had a clue. And, uh, and you wondered, well, how'd that work out? So, so I think there's some positives. Um, and, 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 you know, you can talk me into why a kid shouldn't be allowed to transfer three times and never sit out for sure. But, uh, you know, when when athletes' rights are more restricted than regular students' rights, it uh, that that doesn't always sit well with me. Yeah, there's just tons of gray area, and like you said, you can't put a blanket over it. But there should be hard lines for what is and what isn't acceptable, and hopefully, we can kind of come to a conclusion on that moving forward to kind of get rid of or stray away from what is becoming or what is looking like free agency. In college football. All right, so turning to this weekend, and we really appreciate you being here with us. I need two things from you, Adam. I need your prediction for the Auburn-Oregon game, I think the premier game of the weekend that takes place in Dallas, and then give me your one sleeper team who you think you could be talking about in late November on Saturday afternoons on CBS that we're not exactly thinking about right now. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I think, first of all, the the Auburn D-line – versus the Oregon offensive line are two of the top units in their respective spots. And so we get this great showdown there and, and potentially they neutralize each other. Uh, but the Auburn offensive line would definitely have an edge. We don't know how Bo Nix is going to fare true freshman debuting uh, in a season opener for Auburn for the first time in decades. So it's a major question mark. Uh, and of course, as the Mario Cristobal factor, having been the Alabama offensive line coach, but um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Auburn gets it done. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with them here. Um, maybe 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 Justin Herbert's not back to the form he was two years ago. 
Don't know. Uh, a sleeper team. A sleeper team. I, I don't want to double down on the Tigers. I think that the Alabama injuries benefit them greatly for how they'll match up toward the end of the year for a game that's at Auburn, and they'll also be hosting Georgia. Um, so it's hard to it's hard to say that they'll be in the playoff. But I really, I really like Auburn right now. Uh, man, deep deep sleeper. Yeah, I wasn't as high on them just like 24 hours ago. No, so no, check for me later. Sure. Uh, I think Virginia, man, like you want like mm. deep sleeper, like, you know, people yeah. are loving Utah right now. We already talked about them. Uh, I was on another call where, you know, the guy said Ohio State was his sleeper. I said, then <laughs> you're already awake because that's not a sleeper. Like that's that's a legit team. Um, so like going like going deep from a division that is pretty open and up for grabs. I would say Virginia because of Perkins and the defense coming back and, and the division not being super stacked. I actually, you know, not to be a homer, I really like the Syracuse team and someone else in the ACC besides Clemson has to win nine or 10 games. I think, I think they have that shot. Uh, They're just in the wrong division. So, you know, I'll I'll throw Virginia into that mix. Uh, I think Utah has been batted around, batted around enough. Maybe Iowa is another team there that I think has the the basic parts to, to win a division and, and pull an upset. And, uh, and that that would be maybe one more there. So, so I hope that satisfies your yes, criteria. Sir. Absolutely, that. that is satisfactory indeed. So uh, I will keep tabs on those teams. I like the Virginia pick. I like Don't. the Iowa pick, and then I also like Iowa State. I think that's one of my sleepers out of the Big Twelve. I think they could make some noise and possibly show up in Dallas for the Big Twelve championship game. But in the meantime, thank you so much, my man, for coming on the Punt and Pass podcast. It's obviously the premier Punt and Pass is the best college football podcast in America. So thanks so much, Adam. We're going to let you go. And, man, Aaron, thanks so much for setting it up. And we will be keeping tabs on you throughout the fall Saturdays on CBS. So appreciate you, Adam. All right, man. Good deal. And a little play-by-play to go with your Punt and Pass. One guy we left off the Syracuse list, Ian Eagle. Yes, yes, he is all time as well. And his son's really good, too. No surprise. Oh, yeah, Noah. Yeah, Noah had that boat ready. There you go. There you go, my man. Well, (laughs) hey, Adam, have a great weekend, and we'll be seeing you Saturdays on our TVs. Thanks, man. Sounds good. Big thanks to Adam Zucker for coming on the Punt and Pass podcast. Great guy. He had me laughing pretty hard before we fired up that interview, Aaron. Seems like a fun dude to spend some time with up in New York after a studio set. I just, it's funny because I, I was watching all the, the shows on Tuesday night and it just, it's a different feel, the CBS show and, and call me biased because I work for them, but I'll slip between them and Fox Sports 1 and the ACC channel and it's just, it's it's more fun. It's kind of like, you know, five guys sitting around a fire or TV yeah. talking college football, plain and simple. And the other ones are, and you turn on FS1 and, and you got the big names. I mean, you got Urban, you got Reggie Bush, you got Leinart. And it's just so stiff, man. It's just like I haven't watched that yet. Oh, I, I watched it the other night. I just got want to see how they do. And I like all those guys, but it's it's just a different feel. They're not. It's just the news where you look at, yeah. like I said, CBS. I mean, these dudes are making fun of each other. They're laughing. They're cutting up. They're having a good time. So everyone wants to get their news a different way. And I don't know. I, I, I kind of <laughs> like. It starts with Zucker, though. Yeah, Go Zucker's Zucker. a stud. I mean, There's no Zucker doubt makes it. it fun for everyone just to to relax. He makes it easy. And plain and simple, he, he he throws up a softball for you to just knock out of the park every time he asks you a question. Yeah, he's extremely talented, and we talked to him, and, and it was fun hearing how he kind of grew into that role, went to Syracuse, which is obviously a great broadcast journalism school. So, hey, huge thanks to him for coming on, and maybe we can grab him on later 
in the season. But man, it's week one. It's Labor Day weekend. And I am so thrilled at tonight's slate of games, Aaron. We're going to pick a lot here. Punt, pass, and pick. Coming right back at you. Let's rewind what happened last week. Aaron, you started off hot three and one. Three and one. You gave us good picks, but you liked Florida to cover. That didn't happen. I was four and oh, picking right where I left up off last year. So let's talk about these games. We're going to go through them pretty quick. We have a lot on the slate because we are going to be busy all weekend. So starting tonight, Thursday night, it's the launch of the ACC Network. Georgia Tech is heading to Death Valley to play number one Clemson. Get this, man. Clemson is a 37-point favorite. The total is 60.5 points. This game's at 8 p.m. on ACC Network, as I just mentioned. Okay, what is success for Georgia Tech in this game? Because I think it's this, Aaron. I think success for Georgia Tech looks like this. Keep it within 14 points in the first quarter and maybe get one chunk play in the first quarter. Get a wide receiver behind the defensive backfield of Clemson. I'm talking a 35, 45, 50-yard chunk play. Show the fans of Georgia Tech that the culture has changed, the time has changed, and at least they can hold on to something because they're going to get blown out tonight. There's no doubt oh, about it. it, it give, me, give me the points for Clemson, plain and simple. Lay the and, points. And Aaron lay, the lay, points, the points. Uh, lay the points. Lay the points. This is, you want to talk about sloppy first games for teams, you know, for, we saw last week in week zero and, and we'll, we'll see throughout the weekend, especially offenses. There, there's a lot to work on still for teams to gel and mesh on the offensive side of the football. And now you're talking about a team that's, that's not built, built for the offense. It's about the run. Their offensive line's too small. They don't have quarterbacks that can run. You're going to see a lot of, you're going to see a lot of RPOs, a lot of zone read because that's all they can do. You don't have a traditional drop back quarterback that Jeff Collins wants at, at, in this system. So, or linemen a, or, or receivers, said, the linemen are too small. They <laughs> yeah. get receivers that block. They don't know how to that run routes, uh, like elite offenses do like Clemson. So listen, there's a few teams in the country that I feel confident can show up week one and not have as many stumbles as most teams. And, and Clemson's one of them. Yeah. yeah. There's maybe three or four teams that you say, okay, they're so talented and so good and so competitive in practice where practice is so tough because the guy going you're going against, your second-team guy, is a four-star, is a five-star. So you're having to really grind every single day, Monday through Thursday. And then come Saturday, it's like, okay, we're playing against a team that's this is their first year in this system. This is a piece of cake. So I think Clemson shows up a well-oiled machine, yeah. ready to go. And I can see them, yeah, I, I give me – Clemson lays the points and uh, give me the over. You want the over too? Over sixteen and a half. Okay, so I'm just gonna say that's I think a lot Clemson, because I just I think I think Clemson scores. I think plus. Clemson scores close to forty, yeah, fifty, and I, I I think Tech will get a couple late points. Okay, you know Clemson will put their backups in, or or in, uh, and and Georgia Tech will score a couple late, maybe a touchdown and field goal to to make it 60 there you go i'm gonna stay away from the total here because i just don't know how many points tech is going to score i will lay the points though i'm taking clemson minus 37 as well the only thing that would make me hesitate to lay the points is this is going to be one big celebration i mean i think we heard adam zucker just say that a lot of the fans who didn't trek across the entire country last year to watch them whoop up on alabama and santa clara california haven't seen this team yet i mean they're going to be raising a banner this is a national championship celebration it's the launch of the ACC Network. It's a Thursday night short week. I know it's the first game of the season, but this is a unique situation 
to your point, though, Aaron, they have way too much talent. These guys are wanting to absolutely stomp out every single team this year because they are in a weak ACC conference. They're going to need to show their prowess at the end of the year when they run through a weak conference to make sure that they will be right there in the college football playoff mix. So I'll lay the points. I think Clemson rolls. Don't know about the 16-and-a-half. Aaron likes the over, but we're both on the same side here. Should be fun to watch the defending national champions get back into gear. All right, the late game tonight, 10-15 p.m. This game's on ESPN, number 14, Utah, heading to Provo to play the BYU Cougars. This is the 100th playing of the Holy War, and Utah with very, very high preseason expectations. Even Lee Corso picked them to be in the national championship game last week on game day. Utah's a six-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. The over-under is 48 points, and I'll just say this right here. BYU has a good quarterback. I think their quarterback is better than Utah's. I forget his name. He's young, Aaron. He finished like the last eight Zach games. Wilson. Yes, Zach, Zach Wilson. Wilson. 12 touchdowns, fin- three picks last year, 66% completion. Yes, yep. I like him a lot, and I just want the points, okay? Give me the six and a half points. If you find it at seven, a full touchdown at home, I want it. I'm not saying BYU is going to win, but this game is going to be close. It's a rivalry game. Throw all that stuff out the window about preseason expectations. Provo is going to be lit, as the kids say. I'm looking forward. I think this will be the best game of the night. Utah better than oh, the Oh, by far the best night. I think this is a great football game. BYU returns, I think, 17 starters. Nine on offense. On a, yeah, nine on offense, eight on defense. It's a very good defense. Only gave up 21 points a game last year. Obviously, we know Utah, great defense. I think there's some weather issues going on right now up there. So there, there, there might there be really? a little, yeah, there may be a little bit of weather this afternoon. So we'll see how that affects Wind, rain, the, the sloppiness. Snow? I think some, some rain. Okay. So I, I, I'm with you. I think two good defenses. We always talk about offenses. We've been harping on that being a little bit slow to start the season off. I like Utah's offense though. Obviously Huntley at quarterback Moss at running back two really good guys, but defense, defense, defense early in the season. So same thing. I'm going to take the points with BYU, and I'm Sweet. going to take the under, too. I think this is okay. going to be a somewhat of a defensive struggle. So under 48. I like that. I will actually jump on the under with you. I'm going to go under 48 as well. Great game tonight, though. I'm going to be up late watching that. I think that will be an awesome atmosphere. The Holy War is a heated rivalry for sure, and it's the 100th playing of it. So I'm looking forward to that. Who knows? Who knows? If Utah loses this game— Pac-12 is going to be in a world of hurt, a world of hurt. And it's wide open because that Oregon-Auburn game, which we're going to discuss here in a minute, is has could, a lot of— You could see of, the Pac-12 go 0-4 this weekend. There's really a legitimate could. chance. Speaking I mean, of the Pac-12, too. Utah should, Utah should win, but this is this is not a, a, an easy— we show up and think we're going to walk right through BYU. Like we yeah. said, this is a good BYU team. So at BYU, Utah doesn't show up and they're a little sleep. BYU will win this football game. No and there's two more big games in the Pac-12 where all of a sudden— the, literally, the Pac-12 season could be done after this week. I mean, it's not out of the shot of realm. That is a fact. And then speaking of the Pac-12, the early game or the earlier game on ESPN is UCLA at Cincinnati. Cincinnati went to L.A. last year and beat them in the Rose Bowl. The Bruins head out east and play the Bearcats. Cincinnati is a two-and-a-half point favorite at home. The over-under is 57-and-a-half. Again, this one's at 7 p.m. on ESPN. The only thing that I would caution here is this is Chip Kelly's second year as the head coach of the Bruins, who knows if his system has been in place now. The players are more comfortable. They've got one offseason under their belt. These guys know what to expect from an in-game scenario. 
situation. These guys know what to expect in preparation, especially with this being the first game of the season. So I don't know. I think Cincinnati should be a top 25 preseason team based on how they played last year. They're not. I'll lay the points here. I like them at home. Give me Cincinnati minus the two and a half points. This is tough for me because I'm with you. I love Cincinnati. I think they're going to win their conference. The Americans are a very tough conference this year. A lot of good football teams, UCF, USF, Cincinnati, Memphis. I mean, it's very, very competitive. And and I got the, a chance to cover them a couple times last year. Love what Fickle's doing there, Coach Fickle. Uh, Desmond Ritter, their quarterback's tremendous. He came in early in the season last year and just absolutely dominated with his, with his arm and his leg. So I like the team. I like their defense. But – you said, Drew, this is year two for UCLA, they need Chip this. Kelly system, and they played 21 freshmen last year. 21 wow. freshmen played last year, so you, including their, their their quarterback, Thompson Robinson, who was a freshman as well. So you expect him to be better. You expect them this team to be not making the same mistakes uh, offensively and defensively. So I'm, I'm literally – I'm so torn because I'm a big fan of Cincinnati. But you, like I said, you look at UCLA and you say they got to be better this year. They just have to – because of all the guys that got playing time last year and then the second year in the system. And Chip Kelly, I believe, is a good coach. But I'm sticking Cincinnati. Uh, uh, give me Cincinnati in the points. They'll lay it. Okay. And um, I think this is going to be a, a track race. So give me the over. Oh, you want the over? Over 57? I, w- I want the over. Okay. I think I think both teams can score some points here. I think this is a 35-30 game, somewhere around there. All right. 35-28. There you go. Both, like both offense. I think I think this is the year you'll see Chip Chip Kelly's offense start rolling a little bit more. Just more experience. Have to. And we, yeah, they have to. And you know Cincinnati's offense is going to be pretty good. So I think they can go back and forth. All righty. Well, let's turn to Saturday, Aaron. And the day game is right here in Atlanta. Duke is taking on number two Alabama. This is the Chick Fil A kickoff classic. Inside Mercedes-Benz Stadium, Alabama, despite the injuries, despite the suspension, still a 33-point favorite in this game. The over-under is 57. This game's on ABC at 3.30 p.m. And just go look back at what Alabama has done in their first game of the season under Nick Saban. They whoop ass. This will not be any different. This offense is elite in every sense of the word. They've got NFL starters all over the field. They will blow out Duke. They will cover the number. This game will go over 57 points. Alabama all day. I hate to say it, but they are going all day. <laughs> it's happening yeah. big time. No, I'm with you on this one, too. They're going to come out pissed off this offense with two at quarterback and all the receivers. I don't care if you have your top two running backs suspended. They will be fine. They got a stable backs there. Uh, you got a great offensive line. The defense will be fine against a Duke team that's – you know, searching for a new quarterback to step up this year with Daniel Jones gone. So I like Alabama. Like I said, I'm sure this offseason has been complete hell for this team. I'm sure uh, Coach Saban has just grinded them into the ground to make sure they're ready to go. And, and this is our opportunity to make a statement. Week one, uh, a lot of eyes will be on them So because there's not a lot of great games out there. So people will be tuning in 3.30, watch these guys go out there and dominate. So I like Alabama, and I'm with you on both sides of the bet as well. Dang. All right. Well, we are consensus here. Well, um, you just look at last year. I mean, so last far. year they beat they beat Louisville oh 51-14. So this is, out. this is the same kind of feel for me. Of they're a game. scoring 50 We're, points. Yeah, they're going to score 50 points, and then they may give up, give up a, like the same a thing as the touchdown. earlier game I talked about with, was it Tech and Clemson? Yeah. They may give up a late touchdown just because 
they have their backups in, you know, someone makes a mistake and, and all of a sudden Duke goes out there and scores because Duke has, they have dudes too. I mean, yeah. they're not as good, and but coach Cutcliffe's it, a good offensive. Yeah. Player. So I think they'll put up a couple points late in the fourth quarter to, to cover. All right. The game right after that on ABC is the Advocare kickoff classic number 11, Oregon against number 16, Auburn. This game's in Dallas. I was surprised to see Auburn's a three and a half point favorite. Aaron too. Um, over unders 55 and a half. This game's at seven 30 following that duke alabama game the big story here is the quarterbacks true freshman bo nix for auburn returning i think he's a senior right justin herbert at oregon a heisman contender early on in the season man auburn needs this game in a big big way but so does oregon this is a good top 25 matchup to matchup to kick the season off oh it's a great matchup give me give me oregon though i just it scares me with a freshman quarterback plain and simple I, I really like this Auburn football team. I do. I think they have a chance to win this game, but I think it's a, it's a, if they field win, it's game. a three point game. Yeah. It's a field goal game at the end of the day. It's just, it's hard to say that a true freshman for no matter how good he is and you know, how good that team is that he's going to go in there week one against a good team in Oregon and have all the confidence he needs to go out there and ball out. So this is a good Oregon team, 10 guys back in offense. They have a tremendous quarterback. I really like Herbert. He needs to step up in these type of games if he wants to be considered a, a, a number one pick in the NFL draft. So he knows he needs the ball out, but I, I don't like this game being high scoring. I think Auburn, like I said, with a, with a, with a rookie quarterback, a freshman quarterback, there's going to be mis- some mistakes. And then obviously we know this Auburn defense is damn good. The defensive line, the yeah. back end, uh, we'll see how the linebackers play. I think that's, that's the position they need to work on most defensively, but this is not going to be a super high scoring game. So Give me the points with Oregon and then give me the under. All right. So you like Oregon and the under. I'm going to take Auburn here. I'm going to lay the three and a half. They need it. They need it in a worse way. And I'll take the defense over the Oregon offense. I think heading into a season opener and having that extra time to prepare for what to expect from Oregon on the offensive side of the ball will play into Auburn's favor. One thing I do like about Oregon, though, is Mario Cristobal, the head coach, former offensive line coach at Alabama, I believe, Aaron. So he's got some experience. Just look at, look at last year when they played Washington neutral site to start the year off it's a five point game so they would have covered this three and a half but this Oregon offense is a lot better than what Washington's offense was last year so that gives me confidence plus you're going under the 55 and a half is that what you said I'm going under the 55 and a half yep gotcha you know you just look at that Washington game last year I mean it was not a lot of points sloppy and you had and then you had a a veteran quarterback in Stidham you know a guy that knows maybe he's not best fit for the system maybe Bo Wallace is or Bo Nix is a better fit but he's still a a freshman at the end of the day so he's going to make some freshman mistakes I totally agree I mean the freshman mistakes will be there but I just think Auburn's defense will be able to offset that maybe force some turnovers from Herbert make some fumbles maybe score on special teams or defense that's something that will really stretch the game and have them cover that three and a half. So I'm on Auburn. All right, at the same time, 7.30 p.m. over on SEC Network, number three, Georgia is heading up to Nashville to play Vanderbilt. This is the first time in decades, Aaron, that Georgia has opened the season with SEC play, and despite being on the road in conference, Georgia is a 22-point favorite. That's over three touchdowns if you're good at math like I am. The over-under is 58 points, tons of points here. Tons of points, but I just think it's a talent mismatch. It's a depth mismatch. Georgia's mm-hmm. going to run the ball right down Vanderbilt's throats. I don't even know if they'll throw the ball 20 times, Aaron. This one should be a cakewalk for the dogs. 
I will lay the points, but I would probably do it at about 21 and a half, or maybe even if you saw it at 21 tomorrow or Saturday, whenever you're listening to this podcast, 22 is a ton, but I do think Georgia covers. I'm with you. I think Georgia covers. They just, this offense will dominate. And, I, and I'm a big believer that Kirby Smart's going to have this defense. And especially with, with Alabama right now in the question marks, this may be the best defense in the SEC. Clemson, yes. or LSU will be good. Um, Alabama obviously will be good. I think South Carolina will be good. But Georgia, I think, could be fighting to say that by this season end, you could possibly say this is the best team, best defense in all the SEC. I think they go out there week one. This is a tough test, though. We know Vanderbilt, um, new quarterback. I think it's going to be Neil. They haven't made the decision yet. I think they're playing it close to the chest right now. But they got great skill. Keyshawn Vaughn at running back yeah, to stud. He's good. One yes, of the best is. in the SEC. Uh, Limpscomb and Pickney, the receiver and tight end, are, are two of the best at their position within the SEC as well. So this is no cakewalk, which I think is good. It's going to be a good test for this defense. If they want to be elite, this is a good task for week one to see where they are. But I agree. I think the offensive line will dominate. I think the receivers will make a couple plays here and there. But the running backs for Georgia will have a field day. They're too big. They're too physical up front. They will take care of the front seven of, of, of Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt will put up a couple points here and there, but I just I like Georgia. I think this is a statement game early in the season. Yeah. And like I said, this is a, this is a team like Clemson that doesn't need a week one to kind of get going. They've they've had such a tremendous four weeks of practice against elite players in defense and defense and going against each other to make each other better, where they're ready to go. Plain yeah. and simple. I think this team's ready to go face someone else. So I like Georgia with the 22. All right, let's put it this way. If Georgia has one or less turnovers, so either one or zero turnovers, they cover 22. If they have two turnovers, that Which number— Which happening. Who turns the ball over? Yeah, Fromm doesn't turn the ball over, exactly. and the backs do a good job protecting it as well. All so right, I don't so see that. Awesome. So, yeah, this should be a good game, a statement game for Georgia. Like you said, getting the opportunity to go 1-0 in the SEC— after week one on the road, I mean, Kirby Smart, head coach, was talking about it. He said the only thing that he doesn't like about this situation is they can only bring 70 guys. This is a row or 80, what is it, 75, 85 guys? Like that. But there know. is a roster restriction when you are on the road in conference, so you can't get all the guys that in-game experience that you like and that you usually get to do early on in the season. So statement game for Georgia, they will cover this number and uh, go 1-0 in the SEC. Head on in to 2019. All right, one more game, Aaron, and I'll let you get out of here. Sunday, I think this is a great game. I think this is an under-the-radar game. Dude, Houston, Houston, baby. Give me Houston, Houston right now. At Give Oklahoma, me Houston right now. Number four, Oklahoma. Keep in mind, Dana Holgerson is the head coach at Houston now. Derek King is a very talented and now healthy quarterback. When you're catching 23.5 points like Houston is, Oklahoma is a 23.5-point favorite. The over-under has come down a little bit, Aaron, at 79.5 points. But Dana Holgerson with West Virginia last year, Thanksgiving week, barely lost to Oklahoma. The score was 59-56, to and that was in football. All right, give me the 23.5 points. I think this is a fun game. I think Oklahoma pulls away late, but 23.5 is far far too oh, much to cover for, i want houston for sure for for an offense like houston that was averaging 37 points a game going against oklahoma's defense i was giving up 33 points a game last year and you got an electric quarterback with king for houston same thing give me give me them and then i listen we're going I over Jay, 79 and a half got to you gotta go over 79 okay, and a half here but listen in the, the jalen is great plain and simple we know jalen can be really good but 
Is he Baker? Is he Kyler Murray? Hell no. No. He can't Plain smell and simple. Like those so, guys. so I, I don't think this Oklahoma offense is going to be as explosive. Plus, they, they lost four offensive linemen for Oklahoma. So they're breaking into a brand new offensive line. Once again, we saw how that hurt both Fordham and Miami last week. Not saying Houston's any kind of scary defense. They're not. I just think this game is going to be a lot closer for the fact that Oklahoma's offense may not be as smooth as we're kind of used to seeing it. Uh, and then the fact that that Houston has a very dominant offense with an electric quarterback, I think this is a high-scoring game. And like I said, give me Houston with the points. I think that's a no-brainer. That's my no-brainer of the week. No-brainer of the week is Houston plus 23.5. We're both going that's a lot of points. 79.5 too. Houston I know. should be in the power five, for goodness sake. I know. I think they, they should, should be, be in the Big and, 12. And they should score 20-plus on this Oklahoma defense. I mean, I know yes. Alex Grinch has come over from Ohio State, but I just don't the see— The Atlanta Legends could score 20-plus points <laughs> on the Oklahoma defense. <laughs> wow. That's a great shout-out. Shout-out, Atlanta Legends. Yeah, I think that's a no-brainer, though. I really do think it's a no-brainer. I'm just so fired up. Football is back, man. So fired up. Week one is in the fold starting tonight, Thursday night. We have football all the way through Monday. And obviously, hey, we'll don't forget to don't forget to follow your boy Missouri. I got the Missouri game. We've to talk about yes, that one. Missouri, Wyoming. It's going to be a fun one. So make sure you tune into in that. Columbia. No, we're in Laramie, baby. There you go. How do you uh, get to Laramie? tonight? You got to fly in the Denver. I'm actually staying in Fort Collins because the uh, the only hotel in Laramie is sold out. So I'm staying in Fort Collins. And I have to drive an hour to Laramie for the game on Saturday, but it'll be a good Sounds one actually. Luxurious. Yeah. That'd be awesome. No, that'd be great. We're definitely going to follow. What time is it on CBS? 7.30, CBS Sports Network. Get to see Kelly Bryan, his debut uh, with the Missouri Tigers. So you'll sit down and meet with him tomorrow for a little production meeting? No, we had we had calls with the, just the coaches yesterday from gotcha. Missouri. We'll meet with Wyoming and their their coaches and players tomorrow. Awesome. Uh, we got to Laramie. Cool, man. Well, we will definitely be tuning in to Aaron calling that Wyoming-Missouri game in Laramie, Wyoming, Saturday night, 7.30 p.m., right? Saturday or, or Friday night? Saturday night. Saturday night, Saturday 7.30, 7.30 Eastern. CBS Sports Network Channel 221 on your dial, baby, if you're on DirecTV like I am. All right, dude, week one in the full. We'll talk to everybody on Monday, recap what happened this weekend, and then let you know our thoughts on Monday night's game with Notre Dame in Louisville. So we'll see you then. And thanks for listening to Punt and Pass. See you.